Fred yeah. Boone in the house, and nothing is new. A little football this weekend. You do fantasy football? Interesting. No, I don't. I don't. Really? Um, yeah. That was interesting, though. You know, the one sport where noise is a factor. You know, from a from a strategy standpoint. Well, let's talk about. Whereas that. the other the other sports really aren't. So that's true, but in the same sense of it, there are some fans of the games. There's twenty percent capacity, which isn't Yeah, but is great. that at all venues? I don't think so. I thought for the moment the Bears is not gonna be, but some some no, are I think I think there's only a few that have fans and most of them don't. They really well, I noticed know. it because because I just watched I watched Brady and Breeze. And I it it stood out because it was loud and you could hear what they were saying and you normally couldn't hear that. It was almost that's like true. a practice venue. That's true. That's true. So that's interesting because it's the only sport that really it does matter when you can't you know hear the plays from the line of scrimmage. Whereas every other sport, it, there there's no verbal. You know, there's real really no verbal. Yeah, but in baseball, you got the. And then everybody starts going crazy and nuts, and everybody's on their feet for like a last hit. Yeah, but that's that's irrelevant from a from a tactical standpoint. It's like I, it doesn't matter if there's fans screaming at me or not. That's not you know I I still know what I'm doing. I don't need I don't need to get a uh, verbal command to know what the play is. Gotcha. Because there are no plays. Do you ever get heckled? Do you ever listen to the hecklers? Of course. Do you ever yeah, listen no. to them? Anybody? Beautiful. Anybody Beautiful. actually score on you and uh, able to get in under your skin a bit? Well, well who's going to score? On? We got to get your verbiage down a little better. Who's well, by score, by score, by score, score. I mean goalie. I mean by score, as in they were able to actually get in your head a little bit. You could actually no, hear them. No, but uh, no, I had I, I, I welcome hecklers. You know, it depends. There were classy hecklers, and then there were <laughs> non-classy. Yankee Stadium class. You know, you think about it. You know, all my games are played at second base. So where are the where are the most expensive seats in the house? Usually between the ba- between the baselines, right? So you usually have a different, different class of of fan sitting in between the baselines, whereas you're an outfielder. You know, it might be drunk. Uh, it might be college night for eight bucks. So you're going to get a different <laughs> fan in center field yelling at you than you are a guy sitting behind the dugout that paid five hundred bucks for his seat. But I, I, yeah, I got a lot of you know. Uh, Comiskey, uh, um, White, White Sox. Sox, White Sox side of town. They could be pretty nasty. Uh, the worst was Oakland. Why? Just, just rude. Just I mean, just rude. because I'm all, I'm all in on a good. You know, you come to the game, you want to rag me, do whatever you want. That's great. But, but there's a line that there some guys would cross. Not too often. But for the regular guy that just wants to tell you you suck and this, you know, it's kind of fun. I kind of welcome that. So when the guys are going too hard on you and they're crossing the line, what is your response? None? Or are you uh, just taking it? Um, you know, I'd like to think I'm quick-witted. <laughs> kind of make them look really bad in front of, <clears throat> you know, their drunk friends. Uh, if it got to a point where it was, you know, in a threatening you just have them kicked out. It, it, very rarely did that happen. 
I mean, you're, you, as a player, you, you have pretty thick skin. You know, that's part of it. If a guy wants to pay his money and come watch and yell at you a little bit, that's fine. Just use your use good judgment to what is going over the line and, and what isn't. You know, we can, you, you learn to have pretty thick skin, but, uh, you know, there is, is nothing, what it is. There, there is nothing worse than going to a game and seeing that one guy trying to heckle a player and it's just not happening. And you're sitting there going like, dude, we get it. No, I appreciate And I appreciate a guy that could rag me at a high level, you know? So, so we really got high intellect rags. I, I thought we're active. They'd make me turn around. You know, if you say something worth, worth uh, giving a retort to, I, you did really well because you've, <laughs> you've been there. You've, you've heard them all. So when I'd hear a really good one, Man, I turn around and smile. And go now. All right, now we can engage. That's worth engaging. <laughs> the typical, you suck. You know, you're going to kick your ass. Okay, whatever. You know, what, you what, made you, what made but you if turn around? Could, if, huh? Do you remember what made you turn around? Oh no! Uh, <laughs> oh, this is back when. Man, I'm, my pro. Oh, the guy yelling at me at Yankee Stadium one night. He says. Uh, you know, I'm on deck, and he's just very calmly. He says, "Boone, yeah, you're big power hitter." Said, "I didn't know you're so short." <laughs> and it kind of, you know, my ears went up, kind of like a rabbit, and I just kind of turned and looked at him, and I said, "Well, you should see how tall I am when I stand in my wallet." And that was it. <laughs> that was it. He was done. <laughs> but I like interactions like that. You know, the Yankee fans, I loved it. And a lot of fans around baseball, you really like it because they appreciate good play. So if you're having a rough night and you're 0 for 4, a couple punch outs, you're going to hear about it. But but not crossing the line. Now, quite the contrary, if you go out and go 3 for 4, maybe hit a home run, they'll give you your props. So I appreciated that. So at least I know what I'm getting. If I play well, I'm going to be applauded for it. If I play bad, they're going to they're going to get on me even harder. But but with a smile, as long as they can get on me with a smile and I can smile back, then then we're cool. And and it can get pretty. It can be fun. It can be entertaining. It's just when you get really personal and serious, it's it's you know you question what what kind of person's yelling at you, what they're capable of. If they could say that in in a public venue for no reason, you know. So I never I, I don't know. It's I, part of the game. I never understood. I mean, really, to try to actually really get into a player's head as an as a fan, because at some point you're like, nobody's paying me to do this. I'm paying well, to watch this it, game. You're really not, and and that's the the thing is, you're really not going to get in anybody's head as a as a fan that goes there to rag. Very rarely did I see somebody that could really affect the play of somebody. They think they can, um, but but you play every day, and and if you're a veteran player, you've heard so many things. Nothing's going to affect you. Right. So that's not. It's just kind of their prerogative, and and you know they pay these they pay for these seats. They go to the game. As long as you keep it relatively above board, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. That's that's part of the interactions with the fan. Like I said, when you can walk away with a smile on your face, uh, even though guys getting on you pretty hard, if you can kind of smile at it, I think it's fine. Any certain stadium do anything to you guys that 
kind of makes it feel like they're ragging on you when you go to a visiting stadium. I know the Celtics back in the NBA days, they would turn the heat on instead of the air conditioning on the visiting locker rooms. You ever go to a visitor's locker room and go, oh, they're just messing with us? No, they, there was nothing like that. Um, you know, the, the older venues, uh, you know, Wrigley Field, I, I think they've done a lot of renovation. But the thing is, those old ballparks, um, you know, in Boston, uh, there's only, you know, they're so old and there's only so much space they have to work with and, and with that structure without completely bulldozing it and redoing it. And I don't think they're going to do that anytime soon to a Fenway or a Wrigley Field. They changed right, the, so- the, 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 the uh, locker rooms at Wrigley are completely different now. Are they? Yeah. They are, like, I, I, mean, dramatically. I, haven't been, I haven't been to, uh, you know, I haven't been to Wrigley Field since the late 90s when I came back to the American League and we never had, inter- uh, we might have had interleague play. That's not true. Might have had interleague play in. 2002 or 2003 but it was still relatively you know compared to the to the parks today relatively humble <laughs> visiting clubhouse and comiskey upgrade or i'm sorry not comiskey uh it's now guaranteed right field fenway you know upgraded a little bit i don't know what's the differences but you know the new state-of-the-art stadiums where you know the locker room might be 10 or twelve thousand square feet uh, it doesn't matter what they do to old Yankee Stadium or or, or Fenway or Wrigley. You're never going to get to the level of uh, with a brand new state of the art 2020 stadium is going to be. But uh, you know, nowadays, man, you go to you go to the minor league facilities, and these minor league locker rooms are are better than when I've got to the big leagues, the big league stadium. I mean, it's, they've really upped their game, especially at the minor league level, as far as, as uh, you know, just the way the kids are treated as far as, uh, you know, food and, and people, you know, uh, nutritionists and trainers. And, man, compared to when I broke in, you were lucky to have your, your clothes, you know, hanging in a bag on a rope like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> it was and nowadays guys got two lockers you know what'd you do last year well i hit two 206 and a ball but i got two lockers and and uh a lot at my disposal so a heck, I a heck of a signing said, bonus yeah take advantage of this this is awesome you know this is they put a lot of money into the minor leagues and and uh but when you think about it with the money in the draft now how much they're paying these kids out of the draft you've got a big investment so you might as well take care of it and and uh you know preserve it and, and get it to be as good a product as as it possibly can be. So I, I'm all for the way they they groom the the young players today in the minor league. Does the percentage of a batting average even matter anymore? With, without a doubt, uh, it it does. You know, when I look at it, if I'm if I'm analyzing it, uh, a player, it might not be the the um, it might not be the bar nowadays. You know, in my day, it was it. Batting average was very important. RBIs, and and I think that's the quintessential stat. Uh, they don't put as much uh, credence into it today as they used to. But I think when it's all said and done, and we get through this data era, and I, I don't think the data era per se is going away. I was going to say I don't think you see I don't see that one going away. No, but I but I think you're going to get back to a, a good balance eventually. And I think the RBI will always be the RBI. A, a guy that can get it be in the middle of a big league lineup and consistently drive in runs. There's always, there's always going to be a willingness to pay a premium for that because not everybody can do it. And, uh, but, but there's less put in the average these days. Um, and, and it's more on base percentage. Um, 
you know, scoring runs has been has been brought to a higher level in the big in the eyes of, of people that analyze big league players. But for me, I think when the game's on the line, tough, late in the game, close, uh, you got an elite closer on the mound. I'd much rather have a 300 hitter up if I'm the offensive team than the 220 hitter with a great on base percentage. Because usually those 220 hitters against an elite closer uh, late in the game usually don't have a chance. Because the elite closers, what's the first thing they do? They're, they're in that position for a reason. And usually they got pretty good control. They're not going to walk you. And they got pretty nasty stuff. So it's going to, I want my best hitter up there. So I'll always put a lot of uh, importance into the average. Um, now, I, I think what it, what it does nowadays is they've upped the, the uh, <clears throat> they put a lot more emphasis on on base percentage because on base consistently as a team, if you get that average up, the, the bottom line is you score more runs. But uh, man, just go back to it. If you can drive in a run, I'll take that guy. And, and, and late and close against the closer, I want Tony Gwynn up. I don't want somebody hitting 236 with a with a 350 on base percentage. I want Tony Gwynn when the game's on the line. So, but but that's an argument they can go back and forth and especially in today's game. Now, if I type in the words into Google, Albert Pujols home runs. A big number of 660 comes up. That guy is a monster. Wow, Albert. Man, and, and <clears throat> I saw that it it just happened recently. I think it happened uh, two or three days ago. And um what a number, you know, and Albert's been, you know, he's kind of been uh, limping along the last few years. He's getting up there at age. I mean, he's been in the big leagues for 20 years. I remember his first year in the big leagues. I believe it was 2001 uh, was on a Nike trip and uh, Albert got, he got invited and he was a rookie and he had just come off a, a, you know, sensational rookie year. And I remember, you know, treating him like a rookie. Say, all right, Albert, now go get my golf clubs and I'll meet you at the first tee. <laughs> and he would run and get my clubs, you know, 20 years later, this guy's got 660 homers, you know. But I think even back then, we knew how good he was. And, uh, you know, there's there's so many young, great players that we've discussed, you know, on this on this podcast time to time with the Trouts and, and this Tatis coming onto the scene, uh, Soto in Washington, uh, Acuna in Atlanta. And, and, and I don't even want to keep naming because I'll forget another great, great talent because there's a lot of it right now. Obviously, the bar nowadays is the Mike Trout and what a great player he is. And I've been actually paying a lot more attention to Mike Trout and watching him more than I have in the past. He is really that good to be the premium player in the game right now. But you look at Albert Pujols for his first 10 years in the big leagues, and it's ridiculous. You know, guys that want to talk about how great Trout is, and he is. Well, look at Albert for those first 10 years, and, and you know, his numbers exceed what Trout did, even Trout did. And, and Trout's on an all-time, you know, record, record pace in a lot of categories. Albert was a special player. I mean, I think his first 10 years, he hit 330. Uh, he, was, he was averaging 40 home runs a year and 130 RBIs, you know, and, and uh, that was his first 10 years. Second 10, still been very productive, but not, not like the first 10. But uh, what a career. You know, I think one of three people in the history of the game with 2,000 ribbies, uh, you know, just tying Willie Mays. Anytime you're tying Willie Mays, <laughs> you're doing something pretty special. True. Still, I, still, I think a 300 career hitter. Uh, 
just an unbelievable career, and and uh, he's still going. Who who knows? I think he's got a few more years on his on his uh, contract. But uh, yeah, special special player. Albert Pujols is one of the few hitters I've ever seen hit a ball. Where I mean, some guys you see hit a home run, you're like you're like, damn, yeah, awesome. He hit it so hard that you had no choice but to almost just go. Jesus, and just be quiet as you watch the ball ascend well, to an area you didn't even imagine a baseball can go to. It was well, almost well, deafening. I, I don't think it was that. I mean, there were a lot of players like that, you know. And Albert was was definitely one of the one of the handful of of top top guys. But it wasn't necessarily a hardy. A lot of guys hit balls really hard. It's just with the with the consistency that he he squared it up on the barrel, mm. um, you know. And we even knew back then. You know, we were on those Nike trips and and he was the new kid on the block. And and it was a pretty veteran trip. You know, guys that have been in the big leagues 8, 10, 12, 15 years. Uh, but everybody knew, even that first trip, that this is a special hitter right here. He's just big with these big hands, just fill up the box. We call it fill up the box when it just he, he's bigger than you really think he is. And and uh Man, we knew right from the beginning this was going to be a, a special guy, and he's going. You know, he's going into to territory not too many people have gone. You know, chasing Hank Aaron in the RBI category. You know, closing in on seven hundred homers. I don't know if he's going to get there. You know, I don't know how much he's got in the tank. He, he needs forty, uh, but those numbers are just they're they're you know they're they're. They're video game numbers. They're numbers that not too many people <laughs> ever start off a career and think those are even relatively possible. But with him, um, man, pretty awesome. Tell me what it's like to be a part of Nike and their trips and just all things that's about being good enough to be sponsored by like the greatest like well, I think- oh, sporting apparel that's ever been made on, in the history of the earth. Well, Nike is... Uh, you know they did a great job, and and they still do it. And they take a handful of players, and they invite, and you, they invite the player, and then the player can invite their wife or, or their fiance or a friend. You know they get one one person to invite. So you know in two thousand two thousand or two thousand one was the first time I got invited, and uh, man, it was cool. You know every, back then the Nike trip was a big deal. It was like wow, you got invited on the Nike trip, and uh, yeah, it just ca- carte blanche. I mean, everything, you know, they send you your ticket, you get on the plane, uh, you land and it, it's like you just, yeah, anywhere you go, anything you, you need, any food, any apparel, it's all, yeah, put it on Nike. <laughs> and everybody kind of knows wherever we're staying. So those that are pretty, is awesome. <laughs> pretty special trips. And, and Nike, uh, you know, Nike started out, I remember, uh, gentleman by the name of Bill Frechette, who's the head of, he heads up the baseball end of Nike Major League Baseball. So he, he does the interactions with you. Uh, you know, he'll come to Anaheim when we're in Anaheim and he'll have your, your shoes or, or, or whatever you need. And he, his job is just kind of check on all his guys and see what they need. If, if the shoes are great, if, you know, now it's everything, the catchers, the catchers, uh, uh, catching gear, uh, and, and they branched out to other, to other equipment pieces when I was playing, it was strictly shoes, but, uh, now they've, they've got so many different, uh, part of your apparel. Um, but Billy came in and I remember I signed with Nike, you know, when I was a young player, when I first got to the big leagues, but I had remember, I remembered Bill from when Nike first came on the scene 
in, in right around the late seventies. And my dad had signed with Nike. And I remember a young Bill Frechette then, and then fast forward to when I signed with Nike and, and then I was going on trips and Bill was the host of the trips. So, uh, pretty special for, for especially my family. Aaron was a Nike guy. My dad was a Nike guy myself. Uh, you know, my son's a Nike guy, so it's, it's kind of in the family. When they uh, ask you what kind of shoes you want, can you just out take the Jordans? Oh, I th- oh yeah. You get you, you pretty much get whatever you want. You miss those little perks, you know. Yeah. You, you, are you still a have- Nike guy? Does it does does the contract go or once you retire they're like, all right, you know. Once you retire, you know, they'll 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 throw you a bone here and there. You know, you call and you and you beg enough, they'll they'll send you a couple pair of shoes. They're they're good like that. But uh <laughs> no, when you're playing, you've got those, you know, Booner, I'm a size thirteen. Size yeah. thirteen. <laughs> but it was uh you know, it's a thing where yeah, you get you get your Nike contract, and a big part of the contract, at least back then, was uh, the the uh, the clothing. So you mm. had a X amount of money in clothing, and and you'd find all the guys at Christmas. You know, you couldn't order enough. You had so much credit; it, it was tough finding. So you'd be getting it for your cousins and your aunts and your uncles. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you you miss those little perks now. Now, it, like I said, now you got to call up and go, hey, hey, Danny, can I get can I get a couple pair of shoes? Well, I um, when I first moved to Chicago, the first job I ever got was at a place called Nike Town in Chicago. And the third floor was just a giant, giant room of shoes and clothing. It was just the stock area. And I remember certain athletes would come in there, and they would just go right to that level. Scotty Pippen, I think Ken Griffey Jr., a bunch of people would just... You would be walking around, in that, and I would stock a lot of the stuff, and all of a sudden I would be... Sit next to somebody. I look I'm like, oh, what's up, Scotty? <laughs> and they're just shopping for shoes, looking for their yeah, that uh, was, size. That was, uh, you know, that was kind of normal back then. Whenever you were in a Nike town, you could call ahead and say, you know, and they'd give you X amount that you could spend at the. They wouldn't give you, yeah. you know, ten thousand. Probably depending on the player, who was it? If Jordan went in there, Jordan, uh, I'd say Michael probably could get about anything he wants. I was going to say, uh, considering he has his own brand, but you know, for us, the 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 humble baseball players, you know, they'd give us our five hundred dollar allotment. We could go in there and, and shop because they didn't awesome. want you going in there and and clearing the shelves so yeah we'll give you the athlete you know kind of the the nice uh little little coupon and you can go shopping but that that was back when it first started that was like a cool thing hey when you go to chicago we're gonna go to nike town then nike town started to to grow and they used you know and they they branched out to other cities i think nowadays it's just more everything's so online and in the age of amazon uh you know i don't think the nike town is is that big event like it used to be for us no it's it the store is always even smaller now too you go to one of those places and you're like yeah i remember when it used to be a lot cooler looking (laughs) it's not as big it doesn't have that basketball court anymore nothing like oh man i wonder if jordan's gonna be here today it's just kind of a regular department store that it's just there now. Not as cool as yeah. it used to be. Now, going from that to we were kind of hitting on baseball. We are start, starting to approach the postseason. What's interesting about the postseason following the baseball lead or the football lead is that they're actually talking about now in the World Series. They might actually start to bring some fans in to the stands. Are you about yeah. that? Are you cool with that? Is that something that I'm, should be done, or I'm is it? Very, I'm very cool with that. Well, you, you know, start I, the whole season think, of a sixty-game season, and all of a sudden nobody has any fans. Now you're going to introduce fans. It's an interesting element. 
Well, I think it'd be great. And, and I think the fans would, you know, be excited about that. It's probably going to be on a preliminary basis and, you know, whatever it may be, I, whatever the rules are. I think that's why they set up the venue, to be quite frank, is uh, in Texas, because I think the rules in Texas are you can have people in the stadium. I think the NFL uh, franchises in Texas, I think the Cowboys, you're allowed to have fans in the stands now at a percentage, not a, not a full stadium. But I think that's the reason they chose that chose that venue. Other than the fact that, you know, Houston's got a retractable roof. Uh, the New Arlington Stadium has that retractable roof. So, you know, weather wouldn't be able to affect the World Series. Um, but I think it's also Texas because uh, of the fan thing. So it, it'll be interesting. I, I don't think it's going to matter. To You know, the players went into this season probably in the mindset of there's going to be no fans. They're used to it by now. Uh, I think we've talked about it on earlier episodes. How I, I think they've done a really good job with the uh, with the broadcasts, with with piping in the sound. I, I think they've done a really good job for the viewer. I mean, at least that's my take when I watch as a fan. And uh, But to add the fans at the end, uh, I think the players, you know, it might put a little pep in their step. Not that you need it by the time you get to, to that level of postseason play, but to add the fans, I think it would add a little extra, especially when, you, when you're used to having them your whole life and all of a sudden for these 60 games you didn't. I, I, I think it would be uh, give the guys a little jolt, and I think it'd be cool. Postseason expectations. Is it possible that the fans don't even have to leave Chicago? Uh, I think you're just wishful thinking. But <laughs> White Sox, what, as White of today, Sox. I believe the White Sox, number one in the American have League, the best. They have the best record in the American League. Um, I'm not going to count them out. Uh, experience definitely is not on their side. I, I still think. Uh, I still think Tampa Bay is the team to beat, um, you know, the, the Central with Minnesota, uh, the White Sox, and Cleveland. I think that's the most competitive uh, division over there is the Central. You got Tampa Bay and, and the Yankees. Yankees need to get healthy. You know, they've been they've been really bit by the, by the injury bug. They really need to get healthy. You need to get Paxton back in that two-hole in the rotation to complement Cole and Tanaka. Um the Cleveland staff's really tough. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I go to Minnesota, Cleveland, or the White Sox. They're all tough. The White Sox, you know, they've really come on uh, offensively. I mean, almost almost like the Minnesota Twins of a year ago. And just and, and I use the term all the time with the Yankees and the Twins. It seems like these they just roll one guy after the next and they bludgeon you to death offensively. Uh, really interesting division and a fun division to watch right now. Um you know, don't don't. There hasn't been much made of it, but these Oakland A's all of a sudden, once again, are thirty and eighteen. You know, and they're not getting much play. You, you just they're quietly going about their business in the American League West and, and running away with that division on a bunch of guys that not too many people have heard of. You're starting to hear a little bit more about the regular position players, but it seems like year in and year out, Billy Bean over there with Oakland, they just find a way to keep uh, turning over that roster and, and, and keep. Uh, making trades and, and drafting really well. Uh, they're going to be tough. The only thing going against Oakland is, is the last 20 years and their postseason, um, their postseason appearances 
haven't gone too far. So I, I don't remember the last time they won a postseason playoff uh, series. So that's the only thing going against them. But I, I think it's Tampa Bay over there. But but I'll give you those White Sox, man. They've been really resilient and and they're fun to watch. I'm not counting them out. They're definitely one of the best one of the best teams in in that in that league over there in the American league. But, but I don't think, uh, I think Tampa Bay right now, top to bottom is the most efficient. Fascinating. Fascinating. Anything else you got for us for this week? No, I really don't. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> watch a little football again. I'm going to go, uh, about 10 days or a couple of weeks. I'm going to go visit a buddy in, in Utah, do a little bird hunting, maybe some golf, uh, what else we got? We ta- like I said, if I've Devil ever imagined about eight weeks, if I've ever imagined what it would be like to be a retired athlete, I think you're living that life. Golfing every day. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very blessed. But uh, at this stage, it, it's a lot of, you know, I'm, are I, you I, bored? I have. I, I do get bored. I do get bored and I try to stay busy. But but, you know, I, I, I reflect uh, on my life a lot. And I just think, you know, at this stage of my life at 50 years old, um, with all the, the blessings I've had and the things I've got to do and the places I've gone and the things I've gotten to see and the experiences, you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything other right now than watching these kids grow up and be the best dad I can to them. And that's not to sound corny, but my whole life's been about playing, training, getting ready for the game. And, and, and sometimes, you know, and I, and I can even admit it, you know, in my day, in my 20s, in my 30s, I was, there's a certain level of selfishness that I think you almost have to have as an athlete. But when, it, when the smoke settles and you have time to reflect on your life a little bit and your career, yeah, those, those are great. But to be, to be a part of your kids growing up and getting them out into the world, it's actually a rewarding thing. Yeah, it can be boring. Can be a they're a pain in the ass. Let's be honest. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And uh, so, so you know, a lot of what I do is it, it goes around those kids and, and getting them where they need to be, getting them to baseball practice, getting them home from baseball practice, coaching their teams, uh, just being a part of their life. Try to try to do the best job I can to, to give them a chance on, on growing up to be a good young man, you know, at, at 18 or when they go away to college, you, you do what you can do and then they're on their own. But, uh, I, it's really been a joy for me, this, this stage of my life, uh, being a part of my kid's life and, and being really home and present with them and, and just, uh, you know, just getting to see them all the time. That's, that's really what's important to me at, at this stage. Let me ask you one last question before I let you go. I'm a radio guy. I've been doing this for 20 years. And every person in radio that I know has had the radio nightmares. You go to sleep at night and I would dream that, you know, that a radio station is going to me to do some sort of report and the microphone starts to melt or I can't log on to my computer or for some reason I listen to the radio station. I wait for the guy to toss it to me and the guy is speaking in Spanish and I have no idea what's going on or there's nine people in my studio. I can't get anybody to be quiet. Do you ever have baseball nightmares? Do you wake up and go, oh, my God, I'm walking to the field. I can't find my bat. Um, I still have them to this day. And, you know, in the dream, I'm still playing. Yeah. And I cannot get my shoes tied. And it's and it's two minutes before I need to be in the dugout ready to take the field. And, And now I get them tied, but I can't. I can't 
walk fast enough to get there. It's like my my body won't listen. It won't walk. I'm, I'm going in super slow motion. And then the next sign of panic for me is I'm not going to be in the dugout. So Skipper's going to have to take me out of the lineup because I'm not available to take the field. And I always get there a little right after we took the field and somebody had to replace me on the field and, oh. and they're yelling, what are you doing? I'm going, I tried to get here. I, I just couldn't move. And it's almost like I'm in quicksand. And I, I've been having that dream for 30 years. <laughs> and and it's amazing. It's like, man, I haven't played for 12 years and I still have that same stupid dream. But uh, I guess we all have, Is there, you know, depending on our occupation, we probably all have those dreams. Is there a part of you that would love to try it one more time? Like, man, I wish no. I could have like, like a, it's a 60 game season. I wouldn't mind playing this 60 no game chance. season. No, Danny, come on. You get to, you get to be 50. There's a reason these kids are running around <laughs> at 24, 25. This is a young man's game and you can look the part and you could probably fake it for a couple innings. Uh, but it's a young man's game. But you I mean, can you just, your body, your body just doesn't move like it used to. Gotcha. Uh, there's a reason you don't see any, any, especially any position players in their, it, let alone 50 in right. their mid 40s. You don't see it because your body just can't move at the pace uh, of a 25 year old. You just can't do it at that highest level. So, and no, I don't miss it. I don't miss chasing that diet, that slider in the dirt. I don't miss, you know, chasing that split <laughs> finger in the dirt. I really don't. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the clubhouse. I miss the competition. Uh, I miss the life. Um, but I don't, I don't miss hitting. I really don't because, uh, man, it's, it's tough to do sometimes. He may not hit anymore, but he does tweet. And if you want to go ahead and follow Brett Boone, you can do that. Simply go to Twitter at Brett Boone 29. And that's where you can follow Brett Boone and all of his random thoughts, like guys that get apparently hit very well. And that's about it. And everything is stand with a Boone approved. So, you know, it's official if it's been Boone approved. This has been the Brett Boone podcast. I'm the pitcher. My name is Dan Levy. You can find me on Twitter at base on air, B A S S on air. And I just love saying things to Brett that aren't baseball correct. And he gets very, very agitated. And it makes me laugh to know that I won't always, I won't always speak your jargon. And I love to watch you get agitated. As long as you're not bored during this podcast, that's all I care about. (laughs) Thanks, Brett. Thank you. Peace.